I'm Elizabeth Vargas. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you right back here tomorrow night. On the program tonight, why denouncing terrorism now divides the Democratic Party. Hamas apologists get louder. Have a good day. Have a good day. Vernon Health. And the media sides with the butchers. Can Israel keep its support in America? Hamas are the new Nazis. The soft bigotry of low expectations. Oregon says students no longer need to know basic skills to graduate. We'll expose the big money behind handing high school diplomas out like participation trophies. Here we go again. Chinese scientists discover eight, count them, eight never before seen viruses and start experimenting. What could possibly go wrong? It'd be funny if we hadn't seen what could actually go wrong. Death toll surpassed six million today. Will the third time be a charm? I want to thank my House Republican colleagues for just designating me as the speaker. I'm still running for speaker, and I plan to go to the floor uh, and get the votes. Why the Republican Civil War is about way more than a speaker and won't end anytime soon. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, America's political parties' war with each other is largely on pause. They've agreed to put their partisan differences aside while they fight amongst themselves. The Democratic Party can't decide if they are on the side of Israel or Hamas, as the White House denies the firestorm of anti-Semitism in America. And Republicans can't decide on a Speaker of the House. They are divided between anti-Ukraine fiscal conservatives and neoconservative free spenders. We're going to get to the Republicans a little later in the show. Today, the White House press secretary started her briefing with a stunning announcement. Anti-Semitism, she says, is bad. There's no place for anti-Semitism, full stop, period. This is important to the president. It's important to me personally. Nothing says something is important to you like reading it off a script. Perhaps you could understand what she was saying in reading off a script just a few hours after the Hamas attack on October 7th, but she had to say it nearly three weeks after the attack just because things needed some clarification. At yesterday's briefing, she answered a question about anti-Semitism with a warning about Islamophobia. Level of concern right now about the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel. Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks. Does the president view anti-Israel protests and sentiment on college campuses as anti-Semitism? So look, I'm not going to get into what's happening across the country and at different universities. Not going to get into the specifics. But today, anti-Semitism is bad. Of course, it's not Crane Jean-Pierre's fault. She's doing what she's told. That's not okay with some Democrats in Congress. There is a civil war in the Democratic Party. Jared Maskowitz of Florida said, what a weak answer. And why are you looking at the briefing book? What's the approved answer? The simple answer is yes, you are concerned about the rise of anti-Semitism. Of course, we're also worried about hatred against Muslim Americans. Must do better. Of course, 
Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar won an immediate ceasefire. Omar, the Democratic Congresswoman from Minnesota, begged for one. So many people across the world are calling for a ceasefire. So many leaders are calling for a ceasefire. Over 65% of our own population here in the United States is calling for a ceasefire. Of course, a ceasefire allows Hamas to rearm and regroup. It allows the media to focus on the plight of the Palestinian civilians. Even the White House acknowledges as much. A ceasefire right now um, is, is uh, what we would believe that a ceasefire right now is only going to benefit Hamas. A ceasefire, of course, is the least of the demands from those on America's college campuses. The mass protests we see celebrating Hamas represent the other part of President Biden's base. Harris polling from just four days ago. And you just have to stop and look at this for a second. Among 18 to 24 year olds shows support of Hamas and Israel in the current war split. 48% say they side with Hamas. Not 48% say they worry about the Palestinians. Not 40% say they worry about Palestinian civilians. 48% side with Hamas. 52% with Israel. Those are the president's key demographics. 18 to 24-year-olds voted for President Biden by a 25-point margin or more. They aren't supporting Palestinian civilians. They are actively supporting a group responsible for targeting and slaughtering a 1,000 Jewish civilians because they're Jewish. Today, the Israelis released intercepted calls from the Hamas gunmen. Here's one. And we want you to watch the subtitles. It was intercepted, obviously, in Arabic. He says he is calling from the phone of a Jew he just killed. With my own hands, I killed 10. His father says he's proud. Think about that. Roughly half of American youth, the core of the Democratic Party, is on his side. With us now, Bacha Unger Sargon, opinion editor for Newsweek, and Alana Goodman, senior investigative reporter for the Washington Free Beacon. Ladies, good to see you. Um, Alana, am I right to be as stunned as I am by those numbers? It's horrifying. And I think, you know, just as there will be a reckoning in Israel for the security lapses on the border, there will be a reckoning in the United States and particularly among American Jews um, over how we have gotten to a place like this where anti-Semitism has infiltrated um, so many of our higher institutions from academia to politics. Um, And, you know, I think it's particularly a wake-up call for American Jews who tend to side with, align themselves with the left politically and to vote Democrat, looking at organizations that they've spent many times uh, supporting, who now are backing an organization that wants to eradicate the Jews. Yeah, Bacha, you used to be a Democrat, at least a progressive uh, in some ways. I remember when we first started talking. Um, I'll let you I'll let you take this. Right. I mean, there is this war inside the Democratic Party and put aside for a second Jews inside the Democratic Party, because I don't I don't understand any member of the Jewish community could still support the Democratic Party after what you're hearing from the White House. But in a broader sense, um, how do you deal with this? this now group of young Americans who are siding with Hamas. That same group of Americans would have never sided with Al-Qaeda. 
Um, I have a bit of a counterintuitive take on this, maybe. Um, I just am not an alarmist when it comes to this. Maybe it's because I cannot help but think of this country um, through the lens of its history and its past vis-a-vis Jews. There has never been a country um, in the history of this planet that has been so good to the Jews. Um, But also, like you said in your intro, Leland, there is no comparing the way that President Biden has spoken about Israel and Hamas since the horrific October 7th massacre with the disgusting calls from the squad for a ceasefire, which means, like you said, let's allow Hamas to keep murdering and raping and pillaging. But also, Leland, I got to say, you cannot compare the support President Biden has given Israel to the absolutely disgusting moral preening we saw from President Obama yesterday when he uploaded his thoughts as if anybody was sitting around wondering what he's thinking about this issue. President Biden represents the Democratic Party, and I have oh, to say, I, hold, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to let you answer about this, okay? In, in look, President Biden has been unquestioning his support for Israel. Um, behind the scenes, it's questionable in terms of what's going on and pressure to delay the invasion and the like. But compare that to this: the U- UK Prime Minister uh, Rishi Sunak blasted the Metropolitan Police for not acting on jihad chants at Palestinian protests. Told police to tackle pro-Palestinian extremism head on. Right? That's not what we hear from the White House. That's not what we hear from President Biden. That's not what we heard during his speech. Yeah, but Leland, we have a First Amendment, right? I mean, that's what makes this the most amazing country on the planet. We don't arrest hold on, no, for no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. No, we do have a First <laughs> Amendment. You have a right to say it, but politicians also have the right to come out and talk about it and denounce it. And, I'm, and give me a second here, okay? We're going to play side by side. Charlottesville in 2017, when 50 Proud Boy neo-Nazis showed up, versus what we've seen on the streets recently in America. Take a look. By my count, Alana, there was way more people shouting long live the Intifada, which is code for let's kill all the Jews. Intifada was, is the uh, popular uprising of the Palestinians. Um, and after Charlottesville, we were supposed to have a national reckoning. President, you know, the, the, we were, President Trump was called on the carpet for weeks over that and not denouncing it in the, the proper form. Yet that's not happening to President Biden for not denouncing far more people. Why is that? Right. No, that's a great point. And and this is something that this hasn't just happened overnight. We didn't just wake up and this happened. Um, you know, Irving Crystal once said that a, a neoconservative is a, a liberal who's been mugged by reality. I think that a lot of American Jews were mugged by reality um, on October 7th. And they have woken up to see that this there is a major problem uh, on the left in this country with anti-Semitism and rising anti-Semitism that comes out of these college campuses um, as Really it's a, yeah, it's a, you sort of celebrate uh, I, I just want to give Bachi the last word since I, 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 I got in there, Bachi. Give, give me your response to the difference between what is required by politicians after 2017 in Charlottesville versus what is being required by the media today. you got 20 seconds or so. 
Leland, I think calling a politician a hypocrite is like saying they have two arms and two legs, right? I mean, how much could you ask already? He stood up to his whole party. Biden stood up to his whole party and supported Israel. I'm proud of him for doing that. And, this, and so is Israel. So I, I still feel pretty good. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, Bacha, it's good to have you as always, Alana. Uh, thank you. Uh, Bacha is on remote, so I can't shake hands. But it's good to see you both. Thank you. Uh, This isn't just playing out on America's streets, on our TVs, and at our universities. It goes way younger than just 18 years old. An 11-year-old in Manhattan Beach, California, allegedly told four of her Jewish classmates, quote, revenge is beautiful, and all Israelis and Jews should be killed. The district looked to solve the situation by handing out a no-contact contract. You see, everything's the same. Nobody should be able to talk to each other. The contact contract is on your screen. It asks the students involved not to have any contact with each other. Hmm. Again, the moral equivalency. If you say something mean, then, well, nobody should speak to each other. Allegedly, the school district asked the kids not to speak about the incident publicly. That creates a whole nother question. Joining us now, Rabbi Joseph Kalev, three of the four young Jewish girls were targeted to attend his synagogue. Rabbi, it's good to see you. I appreciate it. This is what strikes me. No 11-year-old comes up with that on their own. It's definitely coming from the home. There's no question about it. Um, We actually have been to the father's Facebook page, and you see it right there. And it absolutely kills me that this is what a father or any parent would be teaching their 11-year-old. The Manhattan Beach Unified School District said the situation was immediately reported to school officials and a thorough investigation took place. Student privacy laws preclude divulging specific details of investigatory findings. I'm wondering if a little white boy had said to a little black kid or four black kids, hey, all black kids should be killed. You think the response would be the same and what we're seeing in Los Angeles would be the same? I definitely don't think it would be the same, uh, but I want it to be the same. And that's why we've had thousands of emails going to the school, the superintendent, the school board saying, this is just not okay. These are innocent Jewish students. They have been made to feel like they're the perpetrators by giving them that contract that you talked about. And they were just going about their day when they were attacked by this student. And we want the same type of response to be for all students and Jewish students deserve better. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I know you were listening to the earlier part of the show. Are you seeing a reckoning within your congregation uh, about this, this war inside the Democratic Party now over anti-Semitism? Look, we know that most Jews are on the left, and I have heard from a lot of my congregants and have read quite a few articles that... They are very disappointed with the side that they find themselves on. Mm. Um, They don't understand why the reaction has been in support of Hamas. They don't understand why they see, like, the two congresswomen that you showed um, saying the kinds of things that they're saying and siding with terrorists. I think it's alarming for all of us, Uh, but especially those who uh, find themselves on the left, they're really questioning that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm almost wondering if we're what we are going to look back um, on these marches through American cities and streets 
uh, on because those type of marches have happened before. Um, maybe not during Charlottesville, but during a, a darker time in Germany's history. Rabbi, it's good to see you, sir. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Coming up it's next. It's really been an honor. Thank, thank you. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome back anytime. The continued dumbing down of America. Maybe we should teach a little more history in our schools. Oregon is handing out diplomas like their participation trophies. Basic academic skills are no longer a requirement. We'll expose the real winners in the latest scheme to lower standards. And Chinese scientists have discovered a number of new viruses and they're experimenting away. We're serious, it's happening. What could possibly go wrong and why nobody is trying to stop it? The dumbing down of America and its predictable results. Our latest example comes from a New York Times op-ed lauding the SAT's relaxed standards. Unless every child attends honor classes, well then there can't be honor classes. Nobody can attend honor classes. Louisiana's Board of Elementary and Secondary Education has figured out a way to have universal graduation. Diplomas for everybody and there will be no more failing schools. The dumbing down of America continues. That's just some of our reporting over the last few weeks on the lowering of standards in the name of equity. And Oregon does not want to be left behind. They say students don't need to prove mastery of reading, writing, or math to graduate high school. Evidently showing requirements and having requirements unnecessarily and disproportionately harms students of color. Thus, goodbye requirements. Here is the school board explaining their logic. Report uh, brought to light several impacts on students, uh, primarily students of color, students with IEPs, and students for English learners, who, because of uh, the requirement, uh, were being excluded from uh, learning opportunities at the high school level because they were working on trying to pass a test. So, of course, the school boards, the State Board of Education, the teachers, and the principals are the real winners in this plan. Their graduation rates go up, they get bonuses, on and on and on, because nobody fails. The poor minority kids now have a diploma and can't read. That doesn't do much good for them in the real world. Former Republican candidate for Oregon governor, Christine Grazan, is here, has been working on this issue. Look, I always say follow the money. Who, who wins in this? Why are they doing this? You know, as far as I'm concerned, nobody wins in this. I think that on the union side, it's certainly less work for our uh, for our union heads. We are looking at less scrutiny of schools as they lower expectations across the board. But to be clear, Oregon is not knocking it out of the park for any demographic. We're talking about just pick a subject. English language arts, for example. Our average is in our state 50%. Students of color are in the 20% for proficiency. But across the board, Oregon classrooms are failing our students. This isn't just about students of color. This is about accepting a system which is not back to the basics. It's not teaching reading, writing, and math. It's more focused yeah. on equity. Yeah, well, I look, I, I guess if, if equity means that everybody performs poorly, then there you go. Um, yeah. But you said there's no winners. I want to take issue with that because right. if I don't produce ratings, okay, I get fired. Right. Um, if, if somebody doesn't do their job, whatever their job is, by, by, the, by the metrics, then they have to answer for that. But if suddenly you take away all the standards in education, then the winners are the, the teachers, some of whom I'm sure are well-meaning, but the principals and the board of education, everybody else, 
who no longer gets measured by graduation rates. They just say everybody's equal, I guess equally bad, and then they do win. So we have in Oregon, we had the longest COVID shutdowns for our schools in the nation. And so what that reflects is that our teachers unions themselves are in charge in our state. Our teachers unions told our governor what to do. Our teachers unions are the ones that are dictating what happens in our classrooms right now. And and so when I say that there are no winners, I mean there's no winners among our students. There's no winners in our families. There's no winner for our state. But there's no doubt that our teachers unions in particular wield a lot of power in our state. Mm-hmm. And and we have a governor who aligns with this whole concept that if two plus two equals four and it's racist, that's Oregon. And that's a broken system. And mm-hmm. we're certainly not going to see recovery at the level of the executive branch, though I would hope that we would have. Uh, we have a board of education that voted in lockstep to abandon our kids when it came to this decision once more. Yeah, soft bigotry of low expectations uh, continues. And, and the, the teachers union wants more money for it. They, they saw they can solve it with that. Hey, it's good to see you. Um, thank you. I know you fought a hard race. Um, and that's what's important is people being willing to talk about these issues. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank Speaking you. of COVID, um, Chinese scientists have discovered never before seen viruses lurking on a tropical island and warned they could infect humans. But don't worry. The Chinese have a plan to experiment with the new viruses and... If you're thinking you've seen this movie before, we have. The last time the Chinese experimented with new viruses they had found, it killed more than 1.1 million Americans. And of course, we still haven't had our Blue Ribbon Commission on COVID. We don't know how it escaped from the lab in Wuhan. We've had the January 6th Committee, the Warren Commission, the 9-11 Commission, the Iraq Study Group, Blue Ribbon Commissions on America's Nuclear Future, a Blue Ribbon Panel on Baseball Economics, but still new no COVID Commission. And the Chinese are already at it again, despite their inability to keep the first things that they were experimenting on in the lab. Here now, former Assistant Secretary for Health and U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Dr. Brett Gerard. I don't know why I find this absolutely both maddening, terrifying, and sort of unbelievable all at the same time. Because it is maddening, terrifying, and unbelievable all at the same time, and yes, you pretty much nailed it, Uh, the Chinese and and many scientists are out looking for unknown viruses uh, because they might contact humans. Well, one thing we're guaranteeing here is those unknown viruses are contacting humans. If you stick swabs up 680 anuses of rats in an isolated island, you're going to find some weird stuff. They found it. They're bringing it back, presumably to China where they will do experiments. And yes, we've seen this movie before, except the first movie only had a 0.1% mortality rate. What if it's 1% or 10% for the next version of the movie? That's what concerns me, and you are absolutely dead right on this on this issue. I, I, I appreciate the visual. Um, we, we now know what the Chinese are doing. Um, I'm wondering, though, why the world isn't ringing the alarm bells on it, right? We know that, let's just assume the best case scenario, that it was a lab leak out of Wuhan. Uh, The Chinese didn't mean to release it, and there's a lot of evidence that they didn't mean to, to be fair, Um, but they did cover it up. Why is the world not ringing the alarm bells about the Chinese biosafety issues? Why are other scientists, why is the World Health Organization not saying, hey, you guys need to shut this stuff down in China until you get your your house in order and can prove that you can keep the viruses in the lab? 
Well, uh, the first thing is I think uh, scientists uh, generally have good motives, particularly in, the, in, the, in this country, and they don't want to believe that scientists or governments could have nefarious motives, but they clearly do. So you have to look at scientists as it's generally good people, but naive to the real world. Secondly, there's a limited amount we can do to stop China from doing this. This is clearly dual-use technology. Uh, they were not funded by the NIH. I looked at the paper. At least they didn't admit they were funded by the NIH. This is all Chinese Communist Party funded. So it's very limited things we can do. So um, it gets a little bit more complicated, and, it, and I think it starts with a president who doesn't roll over and beg forgiveness uh, for being tough with any adversaries, and that's exactly what we need to do with China. All right. I, I, I got about 45 seconds, and I wanted to just get your thought. The other part of this is we still haven't been honest about where COVID came from. And I'm wondering, at a time when trust is so low in, in public health, period, um, if that Blue Ribbon Commission might not solve a lot of that problem. I think it could. A Blue Ribbon Commission could. But I think public health officials and you know, you could name the first person it starts with should basically say, um, I'm sorry or we're sorry. We were wrong about a lot of issues and we're going to get it better at the mm-hmm. better the next time, because clearly public health was arrogant, uh, too concerned about perception, uh, manipulating the public. And so you have to say mea culpa. That's number one. But, yes, we need a blue ribbon commission. But I don't think it's going to give us much more information I think the odds are this came from a Chinese laboratory. It was accidentally leaked, and we're suffering the consequences. What we need to do now is make sure, really sure, this never happens again. And we yeah. have done, in my mind, nothing to assure that. Right, and now, and now the Chinese are back at it. Look, you make a you make a great point when you say uh, there's a difference between 0.1%, 1%, and, and 10%, um, and how different the world would be. Uh, it's good to see you, sir, as always, uh, even, even, if the, even if the news is sobering. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be on with you. Yeah. Coming up next, it's now been 21 days since the House had a speaker. Does the GOP's next pick have the votes after Donald Trump stamped it in the back? Well, no. We actually wrote that line before Tom Emmer quit. You have to move fast if you want to keep up with the civil war on the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue when we come back. Hey, Tom Emmer, looks like he's finished. Looks like he's finished. He was not a supporter, but he was a rhino. And it looks like it's finished, but we'll see. You never know. Today's gig economy sprung out from the last recession. It offers a job to anyone who wants one. During COVID-19, we must make sure that our nation's sole proprietors and the smallest of small businesses receive timely... Will the gentleman suspend? I'm sorry, Mr. Emmer? Yes. Are you Okay. I am. Uh, You're um, upside down, Tom. I, I don't know how to fix that. Do not adjust your televisions. For a few hours, Republicans designated that man, Tom Emmer, as their Speaker of the House designee. You might remember him from the pandemic. His time running for Speaker worked out about as well as that Zoom call. The New Yorker ran this cartoon, aliens landing on the Capitol steps. Take you to your leader, the Republican congressman asked. The aliens, believe me, I wish we could take you to our leader. Republicans and their fight for speaker doesn't represent dysfunction. It represents a civil war for the direction of the Republican Party, control of the Republican Party. 
Imagine Republicans in the House as a barbell. The Freedom Caucus wants to end Ukraine aid and cut spending. They represent about 25 votes. The moderate wing that largely believe in business as usual and continuing to spend and support Ukraine represent about 25 votes. Any speaker candidate can only lose four. So the war continues and Democrats pop the popcorn. MSNBC even has a clock counting up, you can see in the corner of your screen. Live pictures right now of the Capitol as there is yet another candidate forum going on where Republicans will listen to fellow Republicans who all somehow have decided they want this crazy job of Speaker of the House. George Will is here, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist, News Nation senior contributor. I feel like herding cats would be easier. (laughs) Yeah, the cats are more sensible. This is, in its way, it's funny. And in its way, it's riveting. The way you, you drive by a wreck by the side of the road, you can't take your eyes off it. But Leland, it's not funny. First of all, it is not good for the nation that reports to lead other nations to be so conspicuously, foolishly dysfunctional at a time when things really have to be passed. But beyond that, I believe we are in the most dangerous moment for the world since the Second World War. More dangerous, I think, than the Cuban Missile Crisis. Then we had one adversary with a small nuclear arsenal. Now we got a various peer competitors led often by inscrutable or unstable people. Now, we went, through, we went through the map of the Middle East. China's sending their ships into the Middle East. We've got Russia with its nuclear-armed hypersonic missiles to the north. You've got Iran, who would love nothing more than to realign um, the power base. All of that said, is it possible to come up with someone to be Speaker of the House unless Republicans internally solve this civil war? No, of course not, because you've given a veto to five people. And as long as those five enjoy that and relish the publicity and are only in Congress to make tweets, trouble, and get on television, uh, this is insoluble. All right, so uh, this is Congressman Burgum uh, talking about them going back into the candidate forum where uh, they have asked everyone to keep their phones outside of the candidate forum. <laughs> Thus, the things we have to wait until it ends for everything to leak. Take a listen. Well, we're going back into a candidate forum. We got some new candidates. We got some candidates that, uh, you know, were in at the first round when I was, when I was there. But we're going to start again and see if we're going to work through this. Okay, I guess the flip side of this is right now, nothing really needs to be solved. Nothing needs to be passed in the House, at least for another couple of weeks. 24 days to November 17 when the government runs out of money again. All right, so so Democrats and Republicans agree on somebody who's going to be a speaker for a caretaker for a little while. They pass a continuing resolution, more money spent. Doesn't Doesn't at some point the Republican Party need to decide what it stands for? It certainly does, and it has to learn a lesson from the past. Nancy Pelosi at various times had very small majorities in the The House. The same one, yeah. And she managed to govern effectively because her party was serious about governing. The Republican Party looks to the constituents around the country as frivolous, as performative, as theatrical, but not serious. All right. Uh, Big picture, how does this affect the presidential race? Donald Trump torpedoed Emmer today. For the sheer fun of it, because he could, uh, because he he could use the word rhino about Mr. Emmer's, or a squish, another favorite term of the the people of his persuasion. But uh, 12 months from now, 
presumably this will be just uh, another fragrant memory out of the swamp. But uh, to the extent that it communicates to the American people that the Republicans are a little bit odd, that the Republicans are not as serious as the world is becoming serious, it's going to hurt. Yeah, well, and also an enormous missed opportunity. They could be capitalizing on things that are going on and what and how President Biden and the Democrats are divided on, on Israel and anti-Semitism and everything else, and they've missed it. Yeah. Good to see you, sir, as always. Thank you very much. Coming up next, more men are breaking out of prison, including some very, very bad dudes. Why is it easier and easier to get out of places designed to keep bad people inside? Nationwide risk coming up. news tonight on a massive manhunt in Georgia. Four men, all convicts facing charges ranging from murder to drug trafficking, made a brazen escape from a jail in Bibb County, Georgia last week. They've just arrested the getaway car driver. They were in a blue Dodge Charger 80 miles from where they escaped. And now there's four extremely dangerous men on the loose and a search is now entering its second week. All was very big head start from authorities. We keep seeing these stories of prisoners escaping and it being hours or days until we catch up with them. A man facing child rape charges escaped from a Tennessee jail last week by kicking out the back window of a van. This convicted child sex offender escaped from a St. Louis County jail by just walking out of a hospital he was sent to for treatment. There he goes. Bye. Two inmates in Ray County, Missouri, escaped after repeatedly stabbing a corrections officer, a violent attack that was caught on the jail's surveillance camera. Somehow they got weapons into the jail. A murder suspect in Texas escapes, all caught on tape there. And, of course, the Pennsylvania escapee that set off a weeks-long manhunt where the inmate crab-walked through a ventilator shaft. The brazen escapes raise a big question about just how tightly locked up our prison system really is. Over the past five years, there have been 1,100 escapes from law enforcement custody across 26 states. Evidently, the biggest culprit is underserved staffing at America's jails and prisons. In the case of the Georgia escapee, fewer than 10 employees were working in a jail housing 800 inmates. Chris, you've covered a lot of these. I feel like uh, you're going to be covering a lot more. We all will be. Well, here's my sense of it at this point. One, we're more interested in them right now. And it reminds me of a summer many years ago when we became very interested in abductions. And we were covering abductions and another little girl and another little boy. And I then went to the agency that tracks missing persons and it turned out that there had been no increase in the trend. So do we know that there is an increase in the trend? No. Why? Because we don't track it as a trend when it comes to these prison breaks, because we don't monitor uh, our security the way we should. But here's what we know. In every one of the cases, including this one in Georgia that we're looking at right now, you had inadequate staffing, uh, understaffing, and infrastructure that wasn't up to the task. And these are all correctable problems. The question is, what price do you pay? There is a killer on the loose down there. Tonight, we have a guy who he once threatened, used as a getaway driver. Uh, and he's going to tell his story of just how dangerous this man is. 
Hey, it's pretty wild um, what's going on. The other story that I think is wild that's gone really under uncovered, uh, undercovered, is the case of the airline pilot who was jump seating. So he was the third guy in the cockpit on an Alaskan Airlines flight. And he allegedly tried to stop the engines of the plane at 30,000 feet. Uh, and now he says he was high on mushrooms. I, as I understand it, you got two people who were on the plane. What are they going to say they went through? Pleaded not guilty. I don't know that uh, I was on mushrooms, so I, I didn't have the intent to do any damage. It's going to wash very well uh, with any prosecution. Uh, but look, people are worried about their safety. Uh, this story, yeah. at first blush, to be honest, was a concern and went wild because people were th- thinking maybe it's a terrorist. Maybe it's someone who's sympathetic to Hamas. Uh, That does not seem to be what it is in any way. But it does touch on something that matters to me, which is how as a society do we deal with people who are not well? And I think this is going to be another example of that, of somebody who is untreated, treats themselves, and winds up being a danger to all of us. And when are we going to start doing better? Well, red, red flag, we do a lot of talk about red flag laws for guns. Hard to imagine there's not red flag laws for pilots. So uh, it'd be an interesting interview. Thanks, Chris. We'll see you soon. Coming up next, 33 states go after Meta. That's Facebook accusing Mark Zuckerberg of exploiting children for profit. Shocker. Uh, why this lawsuit could actually have teeth. Dozens of states now say they can hold Facebook and Instagram responsible for the mental health crisis among America's teens. And it's a big crisis. The lawsuit says while Meta consistently reassures parents, lawmakers and users that its social media platforms are suitable for young users and designed to promote their well-being, it, meaning Facebook, continues to develop and implement features that it knows induce young users extended addictive and compulsive social media use. Meta's platforms, Facebook and Instagram, are both in the top five of most used social media and combined are reaching almost six billion users worldwide, a lot of them kids, basically every teenager. 95% age 13 to 17 use social media. The other 5% lie. One in three report they use it almost constantly with the average time spent online is five hours a day. So the mental health toll is not surprising. Employment attorney Andrew Lieb is here. Andrew, appreciate you being here. This is, I, I don't think anybody can doubt that uh, there's parts of social media that are designed to, to hit the dopamine receptors. Can you connect that and can these attorney generals and states connect that to uh, the, the mental health crisis among America's teens? Leland, they have done just that. There's 233 pages of this complaint that details specifically just for these 33 states, setting aside nine other states' attorneys generals, that's going to be 42 total, that are going to bring cases in those states. What's going on here is that we know that suicide has increased by 13.5%. We have eating disorders by 17%. And these sites like Meta's Instagram and Meta's Facebook, they promote body dysmoria. And how do they do body dysphoria? They, they give all these different um, filters that you could do so you could look like someone totally different. It's fraud. It's so, deception. This is consumer protection, Leyland. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting is, is that a lot of the, these cases or this, you know, a lot of the way this case is being done in these states 
aren't being sued by the attorney generals. The attorney generals have contracted out to product liability attorneys to, you know, amb- as, you know what we would commonly say ambulance chasers on contingencies. Um, so they're going to they're going to get these huge fines against Facebook, say the, the lawyers get a third uh, in these contingency agreements. Fine. That's business. But in the end, is it, it feels like it's not going to really change anything. And it probably is just going to hurt the shareholders of Facebook. And sure, that's Mark Zuckerberg, but that's a lot of people who have 401ks and have, uh, you know, S&P 500 index funds and everybody else who get who get punished along the way. What a valid concern. And we don't want to punish everyone along the way when I say we, us as a society. But what you are missing here is that this is asking for an injunction as well, changing their behavior. It's not just that Facebook, Hmm. Instagram, the meta company, it's not just that they have this dopamine algorithm, that they use likes, that they target children during school hours or at night. It's not just that they have the filters I talked about before. It's that they know they cause suicide and body shame issues, and they do it anyway. The issue is that they know better, and they're skirting the law. There's laws about child online protection for under 13. It's a $50,000 plus per violation. They're just ignoring it. They're thumbing their nose at the government. So what the government's doing is they're bringing in knowledge-based specialists that know how to deal with this. And I think it's a good idea to always have specialization of labor and outsource to people we know best. That's what capitalism's all about. Yeah. And capitalism is about skirting the rules too until you, until you get until you get caught. Andrew, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, We'll follow the lawsuits. Uh, Today marks another day that Iran remains unpunished by America for its attacks on our bases in the Middle East. We just learned attacks by Iranian militias in the past week injured 20 U.S. personnel. Of course, we knew about the attacks, the drone strikes and the like, but for some reason, the Pentagon kept that from us. And of course, America has yet to respond or hold Iran responsible in any way. Iran's been getting away with terror for a while. Yesterday marked the 40th anniversary of the Beirut barracks bombing. Iran's group Hezbollah sent suicide bombers to kill the Marines and other Americans who were there as a peacekeeping force. The United States has never formally responded to the killing of 241 of our people. No price has ever been paid by the Ayatollah. That's Pan Am 103, which is something different. Uh, The fact of the matter is, As we speak, along with the Navy ships in the Persian Gulf and the Mediterranean, there's also the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit. They're the first ones in to evacuate an embassy or protect Americans in Lebanon or Israel if the call comes. At a ceremony for the Marines killed in Beirut, the commandant yesterday 